Welcome to In the Dugout. I'm your host, Zach Lubar. I'm a high school athlete that interviews athletes, professionals, and anybody connected to sports in the D.C. area and beyond. Today, we're joined by Brendan Sullivan. Brendan is the current founder and president of HeadFirst, a D.C.-based organization that focuses on helping young student-athletes improve in various aspects of their games. Prior to HeadFirst, Brendan attended St. Albans High School in D.C. and later continued his baseball career at Stanford University. He was ultimately drafted and played five total seasons in the Padres and Rangers organizations. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Zach. Uh, no problem. So when was your first encounter with baseball? I mean, you ended up having a professional career, college career, and even working uh, with it now as at head first. So when was your first encounter uh, as a child playing baseball? So my early memories, I, re- I remember being around baseball as a, as a particularly young kid. Uh, There wasn't the same league structure uh, at that point in time as there is now where five and six-year-olds could play organized t-ball. That just really wasn't a thing. So a lot of my early um, playing with the game of the game was with my younger siblings. I have a younger brother who's two years younger than I am, who who was a baseball player himself and a younger sister who was ended up being a lacrosse player. But uh, was certainly interested in baseball in our early years. So a lot of our early encounters was just playing in the yard, playing at the park, etc. Some of my earliest memories of the game were going to Memorial Stadium in Baltimore and seeing the Orioles. This was before the Nationals were here in D.C., and so the Orioles were our favorite team. Uh, and I, I remember, even though I was probably five, six, seven years old, really distinctly those trips with family, with my brother and my dad in particular, driving up to Baltimore, through the city, to the stadium that was in the middle of town, uh, the lights, the sort of the experience of the big league game. And uh, that was really what captivated me. Uh, it was an opportunity to connect with my siblings, connect with my parents, my dad in particular, we played a ton of catch, a lot of pop-ups, you know, the, the, the stuff out in the yard that really hooked us. Yeah, wow. So that's definitely different than nowadays or when I was growing up. You know, now you just uh, sign up and you're thrown into a organized little league with teams. There's even drafts now for 10-year-olds, and uh, I didn't even know what I was signing up for. My parents pretty much just signed it up. So that's definitely different. Um, do, you rem- do you remember when you, you first got into organized baseball, or was it just uh, high school once you – uh, or was that when you first started playing organized baseball? Or was it yeah, I, yeah. As as you reference, it, it was it was so so different. I, I did not play. I mean, I'm 45 years old, so I'm I'm a heck of a lot older than you are. But uh, I uh, I'm not that old, and yet I um, I didn't play an organized baseball game until I was 10 years old, which is probably I would guess five years maybe after Uzak. You know, in, in the, yeah. the way that the game is now. I remember playing on a team called the Friendship Mudballs, which was at uh, a local playground called Friendship when I was nine. And, and we, we used to laugh because the team, we never had any games. We, we thought we were going to have games, but the season sort of ended up and we ended up just practicing. And um, so we loved to play and we, we really didn't notice the difference and then played organized little league at 10. And then it went from there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely different than uh, how I grew up playing. I mean, I started a little late. I, I was first picked up a baseball about seven because um, n- none of my parents played baseball or uh, I mean, my grand, my grandpa did. That's pretty much the only family connection I have with baseball, but I was uh, on a trip and I saw kids playing wiffle ball and I, um, you know, with a wiffle ball, it, it looks like it goes so far, even if you have a horrible swing, all you have to just make it. Like that. So, uh, I, I hit it and I was like, whoa, like I want to play baseball. So then I signed up for baseball after that. My brother and I, Zach, my brother and I played, I mean, 
thou- I mean, thousands and thousands of games of, of wiffle ball. We used to, in the basement of where we live, we would, we, we could figure out a way where we put pillows in the windows and basically made it an indestructible sort of cave room and would tack a, a towel, like a bath towel in the shape of a strike zone on a, on a wood wall. So that sound when the wiffle ball hit the towel was totally different than when it hit the, the wood. So there was zero arguments about the strike zone and we would stand probably 15 feet from each other, throwing as hard as we could. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd be the Orioles lineup and the Mets lineup and we'd hit left-handed if the hitters were left-handed. And, uh, truly, uh, that was where sort of, I feel like I learned the game and learned, learned to love the game, you know, sort of as uh, rudimentary as that sounds. Do you recall any moment that you realized like, wow, like I'm a lot better than most kids. And I really think I could make something out of this. Like so many, and I imagine you know, knowing you a little bit, I know, I know like you, you know, the, the dream was always there. I mean, always wanted to play at the next level. When I was in little league, I wanted to, I wanted to play in high school. When I was in high school, I wanted to play at the highest level of college ball possible. And of course, think about the dream beyond that. And, and so the, the dream, you know, the dream was always there. I, I feel like the dream was there from the minute I, I walked into the first night game at Memorial Stadium. And I'd never seen anything like it. And the shoe shines on the players and the lights reflecting off and like a baseball game going on in the middle of, you know, darkness, um, that sort of triggered this dream for me. I had no idea, of course, what that really meant. And then as, as I, you know, as I reflect back on the steps along the way, for me, there were moments of maybe, may, maybe I'm good enough to do this at the next level. Um, and then those moments of maybe captured with the right encouragement and confidence from coaches and development from coaches. And, uh, and then of course, all the work that goes into it, it sort of would push me through those moments of maybe, maybe I can make the varsity team as you know, this level at, at this grade. Maybe I have a chance to be a college player. Maybe I can play at division one level. And then just the, the, the momentum kept moving. I, I, I was a player that didn't have I was successful. I made all-star teams. I was told I was good. I knew I was always one of the better players on the field, but I wasn't a guy that threw 90 miles an hour. I wasn't a guy that could run a 6.560 or was going to blast the balls out of the park. So it was really hard to tell how how good I was outside of the bubble where I was playing in DC. And so it was it's those moment of moments of maybe that tended to be when I went outside of my comfort zone. And said, "All right, now I'm playing American Legion ball in Annapolis. I, I, I can still hang with these guys. Maybe I'm good enough to get to that next level." And and just being, for me, pursuing and looking back, and if I'm encouraging a young player, like, go find those moments, and um, and that's how that's how the path will keep moving. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, I mean, the dream is always there for for most kids, and you know, I kind of can see how all the like you know kids get recruited out of eighth grade. So you know, it's just so hard there's so many so much variation in it i know kids who just get under recruited completely and you know don't even get the opportunity to play in college and and they're better than kids that i know who do so yeah i mean it's definitely easy to get under recruited and um you know the maybe aspect kind of no doubt and you know zach the what the, the advantage that that high school players have now there's certainly plenty of them one one is there's so many more opportunities to in, sort of intentionally yeah, go and play in front of certain coaches on the flip side um, where those ex- those experiences didn't exist when I was in high school. The other thing that didn't exist was this ability to, at a click of a button, sort of see 
who, where everybody was going or somebody posting a commitment on Twitter and those things that just end up, you know, end up really creating a lot of anxiety for kids in the process. I, the 16 year old Brendan Sullivan had, didn't have the burden of any of those things. And so I think those things sort of balance out uh, yeah. in a way. Definitely pros and cons of each time period. So fast forward a little bit um, to high school. I mean, you got to, you went to St. Albans. That's where I go. I love it. Uh, hopefully, maybe, hopefully you loved it too. But so when you were there, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about it, um, you know, just so I could compare it to how it is now. Uh, I know there, recently there was a couple years before I went there, a huge renovation uh, to the baseball fields. And now it's just a beautiful turf field, one of the nicest in the area. Um, so just any uh, just general information or uh, details that you could tell yeah, me about. Absolutely. Well, and we're as a, as a, as a proud St. Albans graduate and St. Albans Bulldog, we're lucky, lucky to have you uh, as a part of our community and our, on our Me program too. now. And, and I appreciate too. that. And it's one of, I think, a number of things you and I have in common. I look back at my time at St. Albans and, and generally, but, but in particular, my high school experience as an athlete, student athlete there and a student athlete on the baseball team as it's truly one of the most influential and important sort of moments and, and times of my life and, and parts of my identity, not only then, but, but now, um, we in, in that, so I played in the early nineties, which I know seems like a zillion years ago. Um, St. Albans was as, as we are now really good. We won the IC conference every year. We'd won it for 10, 15 years in a row. Um, we beat certain area teams, um, including one down the road you're familiar with, Sidwell, you know, every time, all the time, no question, never lost to them once. Washington Post top 10 almost every year. So we had a, we had a really good program, even for a, for a small independent school. Um, similar, there are some threads that are still the same now. Really, really good coaching. Like we just had the best, the, the best coaching. I played in Little League. I played at St. Albans. I played at Stanford. I played in the minor leagues. I almost played in the major leagues. And as I look at all the great coaches I had, I keep coming back to the coaches I had at St. Albans as as the best. I mean, a, truly the most influential and the, and the best. Um, the, the dedication to the program, to the facility, to the history of the program, the discipline that was instilled in the program from the first time we put a St. Albans hat on in the sixth grade, all the way through the varsity. Um, it just was a, it was just an excellent, excellent high school athletic program of any kind, and it ended up being uh, really a, a part of my identity as a high school student that was was super important to me. So, like you, I love the place. I, I truly believe without St. Albans, none of the rest of it would have of the baseball that I played would have happened without Dave Bod, without Bob Brown, without Buddy Burkett, coaches who are just legends to me and, and really taught me how to play and also how to work and how to handle winning and losing. And so incredibly influential time in my life. What are your opinions on how COVID's changed the, the game in the last 10 months? Well, it, needless to say, it's you know, ravaged the it's ravaged the globe in so many ways. It's ravaged the country. It's ravaged the city. It's ravaged the game of baseball in a lot of ways. I think your your description of uh, the, the things missed, I, I found myself, you know, of course, there's so many emotions tied up in it, but feeling extreme disappointment and empathy for in particular, the seniors in high school, the seniors in college, knowing all that goes into preparing for that last season and how important that is not just in the moment, but in looking back and thinking about the 
the journey, the, the journey, the baseball journey, the student athlete journey. And so I feel extreme disappointment for those folks. And I, and, and I'm, you know, of course, hoping and praying that, um, we can turn things around and there can be a spring baseball season for everybody this year. The college game was similarly turned upside down and be- between the college seasons getting, uh, getting canceled, uh, between the NCAA, uh, giving folks eligibility, extra eligibility, which is great for those folks. But now all of a sudden, these programs have extra players who weren't going to be there. So it's going to impact players all the way through all four levels. Uh, the draft was shortened uh, significantly. So I, I will say we may get to my professional time a little bit later. I was a 26-round draft pick of the Padres they only, and, and almost played in the major leagues. My, my life, to some degree, is defined by those five years. There was five, year, five rounds of the draft in 2020. That means I would have never had a chance to go do that. And so the, the, the impact flowing through the game and all the work and effort that so many players from all over the place, college, high school, put into to chasing those dreams that were, that were affected and hopefully can, we can begin to build back with this spring season. In terms of pro baseball, uh, I also think about the minor league seasons. I mean, minor league seasons totally wiped out. Yeah. I played five years. Every one of those years was so precious to me. Um, and to think about, lo- and most of my teammates played on average one or two. To think about losing one that in many cases probably means your career's over. Uh, again, relative, it's baseball. We're not talking about life and death, but this is important to a lot of people, devastating in that realm. I, I, I was amazed the major league guys got their season in. Obviously, there were some dicey moments there. Glad they did. I think there was some fun, really, really good baseball at the end that I watched. I, I will admit, having had an incredible Nats run in 2019, and then the Nats sort of scuffled out of the gates a little bit. There's a lot of other things going on. So I, I didn't I didn't get as hooked by the Major League season as I normally would have. But by the end, I just thought the baseball, the level of play was so, so good. I, I really enjoyed watching, watching the end of the playoffs in the World Series and hopefully be back at it with fans in the building next year. Yeah, definitely. And um, kind of a little bit more on that uh, the high school season with COVID, some of the seniors, you know, really good baseball players wanting to get, you know, one final spot on a roster that kind of got wiped out. But even more um, difficult was that, you know, we, te- us among other teams, you know, had a really good chance to do something like, you know, we, we're three, we started three and oh. Play one doubleheader against Sidwell, which you talked about playing them. And then we beat St. John's, you know, the elite baseball um, program, St. John's. And then season got wiped out. So, yeah, really hard. Hopefully we can um, uh, end COVID and, you know, get baseball seasons. No kidding. You know, and one thing, Zach, and I, I remember, of course, I remember you guys beating Sidwell and then in that big win with Joe Bladell on the mound against St. John's, best program in the area. Great start to the year. Um, and then have it all all gone. You know, one of the things that I think about and I talk to student athletes about at, at our programs is about cherishing, just cherishing the mo- the moments that you have to play. Because when we're in the middle of it, pre COVID, it feels like there's just so many games. There there there's always going to be another season, another tournament, another lesson, another camp, another showcase. And if there's a silver lining to all this, I I know it's done this for me. I don't I don't play competitive baseball anymore. But things in my life that I totally took for granted that would just be there, and COVID has taken them away. It's really made me refocused on how special those things are. And so, if I have a hope related to this, it's that 
the Zach Lubars, your teammates, and I know you guys, and I know you'll do this, the RJs, like every moment, every practice, every opportunity to be with a team and, and to connect and, and wear St. Albans across your chest or whatever you're wearing across your chest is it's precious because it is someday going to go away. And I think too many guys or girls on the softball side or any other sport end up going through the motions because there's so much of it. And my wish for folks is that they remember that when they get back on the field that, Hey, this is, this is special, no matter whether it's a game against St. John's with 500 people in the stands or a cold and rainy practice on a Saturday morning. It's, it's special to be doing it. Yeah, definitely. And that makes a lot of sense. Coach Johnson, um, kind of reiterates that a bunch with us. He says that all the time. I remember right before the, about three weeks before, two, three weeks before COVID ended our season, he, he told us, you know, he brought us in there, the cliche meeting. He goes, uh, you know, cherish every at bat. Like I wish I could get one more at bat, but I can't like in high school and all the guys, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like COVID could end um, our season in a couple of weeks. And this is when it was just like a really small like virus. And, you know, a couple of weeks later it's gone, but you know, that's a little bit about how it's affecting now, but to kind of to go back to um, the end of your high school season, uh, you committed to s- continue your baseball career and academic career at Stanford University. Um, and so everyone has their own decisions that go into their college process, obviously different for recruits, but um, what were some of the factors that went into that decision to commit to Stanford and were there any other um, offers that you were strongly considering? I, I feel so fortunate. There's so many things that went into my eventual landing at Stanford. So obviously hard work and great coaching and incredible support from my mom and dad and and family loving me and letting me love the the game and and take take chances in terms of going to play different places. So Stanford was incredible for me. I first got on my radar through a Sports Illustrated article I read when I was 13 years old that talked about Stanford winning back-to-back national championships. And the article caught my eye because it was about the students, student-athlete component, that the guys at Stanford were really serious about school and really serious about playing baseball at the highest level. And so I had, that was when the dream sort of ignited for me at Stanford, about Stanford. But it was 3,000 miles away. I'd never been to California. I'd certainly never seen, I'd never seen Stanford play. So there was a lot of winding road good fortune to end, to that, that allowed me eventually to end up there. Um, but I I'm, I'm feel very fortunate that I did. Um, it was the perfect place for me. It was a reach baseball-wise, certainly. And I had to make some adjustments once I got there to actually get on the field. But I, it, for me, it came down to I was looking at Yale, Notre Dame, and Stanford. I went and saw Yale. I liked it. They, Yale had a really good team. They'd almost made it to the College World Series out of the Ivy League the year before, met some really good guys, new coach that was coming in that year. I was a big Notre Dame fan. I was on a, went on a recruiting trip to Notre Dame, and there was a football game and sort of caught the whole vibe of Notre Dame on a fall football Saturday. Loved that. Thought I was going to go to Notre Dame. And a week later, I went and visited Stanford. And the minute I walked on campus and met the people there, I knew that was the place I wanted to be. It's just a spectacular place playing the highest level of college baseball and in, in a world-class university setting. So I still pinch myself that I was able to do that and go there and, and feel very, very lucky to have. What were your goals? You know, what were some of your ambitions once you got there? Like, did you plan on continuing it? Did you have any idea? Well, you, so basically you said you had to make some adjustments to even get on the field. So I'm assuming that you didn't have any realistic expectations of 
going professionally or even getting drafted or, um, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. You know, you know, back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, I did, I, number one, yeah, I, I wanted to go to, I wanted to be a major league pitcher. That, that was goal number one and everything else was a thousand yards down the list. But w- what I didn't know, because there wasn't perfect game and the, <laughs> the internet and Twitter and class rankings and all these things, I had no idea where I fit in. The only thing I knew going out to Stanford was that I was a recruit, that I was recruited to play, that I they, I got in, and that there were uh, going to be a handful of other guys in my recruiting class. But I hadn't seen any of them. I hadn't watched video on any of them. I didn't really know who they were. There was no way to really track that. And so I got to Stanford, and I realized pretty quickly that I was – I was a little over my skis baseball-wise. There were seven. I was a right-handed pitcher. I was an overhand right-handed pitcher from Washington, D.C. I threw probably 84, 85, maybe 86 on a good day with a tailwind, pretty good curveball, super competitive, good student, threw strikes. Um, I got out there. I was one of seven right-handed pitchers in my class, in the same recruiting class. Three of them threw 94 or better. Two of right, and I, I had never seen that before, in, other than in, in Memorial Stadium. Uh, two of them were eighty-eight to eighty-nine with a split finger. The guy that was closest to me was this stocky kid from Redwood, California, eighty-seven with a nasty, like big league level slider. Wow. And then there was me, and I, and that was just the freshman class. We had seventeen pitchers. I was, by my judgment, and by the depth chart that I sensed was the last guy on the list. And so that was a wake up call for me um, just because I didn't know. I was still glad I was there, but the insecurities, the, whoa, have I, I know I want to be a college baseball player. Am I ever going to be a college baseball player at this place? Am I in the, am I at the wrong level? Have I reached too far? That question I asked myself a million times, a million times. And, um, and so it took some adjustments once I got there to sort of find my way into playing time. And for me specifically, it was about a third of the way through my freshman year, I dropped my arm angle down. We, we had played against Arizona State the weekend before, and I was, I was 10 miles from the being able to pitch. I, was, I, I didn't even wear spikes in the dugout. Way, way, way down the depth chart. Um, and we faced Arizona State. They had a sidearm reliever that was really good. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give that a try. And on Monday at practice... I started messing with my arm angles and it's one of those things that just happened pretty quickly for me. I could throw strikes from down there. I could throw a sort of Frisbee, pretty big sweeping Frisbee slider that right-handed hitters had a hard time with. And it was something different. And so I, I I ended up going from 17th man on the depth chart to within about two weeks or less making a road trip and then pitching in a game. So happened quickly. The, The adjustment was absolutely necessary um, but the whole time, I still had my eyes set on pro baseball. I just, until I got there, I had no idea what that really was going to take. Yeah. Um, so a question about that. So, uh, you know, a lot of people to compensate for um, a lack of velo, they, you know, they drop their arm angle, like, so it kind of makes, evens it out. Um, was that, that go into it at all? Any process? Because, so you were over the top before and then, um you're 85, 86, but, you know, guys were throwing 93 in um, college. So did you lose velocity or was your second, were your secondary pitches good enough to? Um, yeah, no, up? good, good question, Zach. The, the, so I, I was an overhand pitcher in high school, but 
that messed around, you know, I'd occasionally drop down. Oh, two, one, two, I'd drop down to try to strike a guy out. So I had some familiarity with doing it, but I, it, I was an overhand pitcher. Um, and I, but I, when I went out there and made that adjustment, I, I started by throwing sort of, you may say like straight sidearm. And then over time I ended up converting all the way to submarine. So the, by the time my pro career ended, I was a legit submarine pitcher, like whoosh, basically almost hitting the ground with my hand, my velocity. There are some guys that are able to throw as hard or harder from down there than they do overhand. I was not one of those guys. I, I was probably sidearm at Stanford, 82 to 85 on a good day, big slider. But you know, I was, when I realized that overhand, I was sort of right at hitting speed for, for the guys at that level. Uh, and, and by dropping my arm angle, adding some movement, adding some deception, and, and of course being able to throw that big sweep and breaking balls that was effective to righties, I did, I ended up being sort of below hitting speed and it, and it was effective. Uh, well, it's pretty interesting, interesting story to hear. Um, and especially it definitely worked out. I clearly don't regret that because I ended up getting you drafted. Um, so yeah, I mean, high school prep school, DC, suit and tie all boys how was that environment different than stanford and that big university um as i mentioned i st albans was uh, such a big part of my identity loved it then love it to this day um stanford was awesome in its own way obviously very different um out on the west coast in terms of you know as i say that st albans and the sort of identity of being a part of that community and a part of that baseball team and a student athlete at St. Albans was so important to me through, through that part of my life and beyond the, the group of people. And they were mostly guys, of course, they're all guys on the team, but the group of guys that I walked into at the Stanford baseball team is just was the most incredible group of people from all over the country. Um, so focused on school, so focused on baseball, so talented, so hardworking, so diverse in so many ways, um, but also with a little bit of a West Coast vibe that was that was different for me. And I think in a, in a good way, I, I look back and think about the time spent in California and in particular, the time spent with some West Coast people, some of my best friends out there to this day. One lived, grew up in uh, Cheney, Washington, outside of Spokane. One grew up in Oakland. One grew up in LA. Um, and I live with those guys. And, and I really look back and th- that they're sort of just lifestyle and the way that they are and were opened my mind, made me a better person, made me a more thoughtful, more emotionally intelligent person, I think, more empathetic person, and, and in many ways changed my life it, absolutely for the better. So I loved it out there. Being being a student athlete at Stanford was just incredible. My one of my roommates was dating the gold medal Olympic uh, swimmer, who won fifteen gold medals, you know, in the, in the Olympics. And then you'd walk down the street and you'd run into some Olympic water polo player. And Tiger Woods was there when I was there playing on the golf team, and it was just an amazing place to be a student athlete, given the, the caliber of humans that you were around and what that did for motivation and inspiration. So, yeah, you made the switch to submarine. Clearly it worked out and, um, ended up, you ended up getting drafted. Um, you said the 26th round by the Padres. So that kind of, the draft process is always pretty interesting to hear about. Uh, did you have any clue you were getting drafted? I mean, I'm assuming you got some phone calls maybe from some MLB scouts, but, um, did you have any idea going into that? I, I had a little bit of an idea. I was I was really hoping I I had gotten to Stanford and was focused on school, of course, 
um, and, and obviously Stanford baseball, but Stanford baseball as a path also to, to the next level. I, so I, I had an idea that I could get drafted. The nice thing about what well, I should say, one of the nice things about playing there is that every time I set foot on the mound, there was t- minimum 25 scouts there because we had so many good players on our team and so many good players on the teams we were playing. So it, it, it was never possible to pitch without people watching for, for better or worse. So I had an idea that I might get drafted. I've been in touch with the Padres a little bit. I'd been in touch with a couple other teams, but again, I, I feel like an old man saying this, but there was such, there was so much less visibility into the process. The, the draft wasn't even at that point, not, even, not only was it wasn't televised, there was nowhere to follow it. So true story. It happened over three days. First, 10 rounds on the first day, next 15 or 20 rounds in the next day and the next 20 rounds. And day one comes, I'm just sitting in my dorm room. I don't have a cell phone. The only way they could call me is my dorm phone. No, nothing. Day two, nothing. Day three, my phone rings and it's the Padres, Don Lyle, the scout. And he said, Hey, Sully, we drafted you yesterday. I said, Don, what the hell are you been waiting for, man? <laughs> I've been <laughs> sitting by the phone. So he, he drafted me on day two. Decided not to call me until day three. Needless to say, one of the most amazing moments of my life. Um, and I, I met him later that week and signed my professional contract in a Chili's restaurant in Palo Alto, California, and shipped off to Idaho Falls, Idaho for my rookie ball season. So it was uh, it was spectacular, amazing. I remember what it felt like, but a crazy experience given given the lack of visibility. And I was just waiting by the phone. So you said you talked about how you uh, got shipped to Idaho to play rookie ball. Um, so like when you got there, I'm assuming it was, you, you know, you used to talk about how different Stanford was from high school, but I can't imagine how different um, professional ball in Idaho there was for your rookie season. I'm, I'm assuming the competition was just, you know, crazy considering it's the, the best of the best um, from college and high school. Um, so, you know, when you got there, uh, tell me a little bit about you know how different the competition was and how different it was from um, uh, high school, I mean, and college. Yeah, and, and you 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 nailed it in terms of life experience. The 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 when I think about the phases, the ma- the major phases that baseball allowed me to experience in some to some degree. The playing at, at St. Albans, playing at Stanford, and then minor leagues. The minor league experience and life experience was so different so so different than anything i'd experienced before especially in the low in the low minors so i go from finishing my junior year at stanford getting drafted playing out to idaho falls and i get there and um, they put me in a holiday inn where we we actually in this particular season and location in idaho falls we stayed in a hotel the whole basically the whole summer with a roommate a young man named rodney lindsey who is a awesome awesome dude he was a kid. I mean, com- compared to me, he was a high school draft. So a week before, he'd been a high school player in I think Detroit area, and then all of a sudden, he's in the minor leagues, and we're living in a hotel room together, and where we have a bunch of American teammates and some Dominican teammates and Puerto Rican teammates, and just a total mix. Um, you know, interestingly, the um, the the level of play in the minors is is, is interesting because if you were to just take like take the Stanford team and have the Stanford team play my Idaho Falls team, my Stanford team would have beaten our Idaho Falls team pretty regularly um, just because it's the low level of the minors. Um, and we just had, we had all, 
good college players. And, and what we had at, at, in the minor leagues was a combination of college players, but also some young high school players who had either just graduated from high school or had graduated from high school a year or two before and were sort of coming up through the ranks. So there were players in those teams that would have been standouts, right? Could have been standouts at Stanford or Arizona State or Alabama or Florida or wherever. But but there was also a lot of really young, really new raw talent, and in particular, a lot of young raw talent from the Dominican Republic who, who hadn't been coached very much and were just sort of learning to play. Great arms, tons of pop, could run like crazy, but but were just, were just learning the game. So as, as I moved up the ranks... Obviously, the level of play kept getting better and better. The, the jump from high single A, so I went low A in Idaho Falls, middle A in Clinton, Iowa, high A in Rancho Cucamonga, California, and then double A in Mobile, Alabama, and then triple A in Las Vegas. The jump from high A to double A was really significant. The jump from double A to triple A was even more significant because triple A was filled with mostly guys that had been up and down to the major leagues. Um, and so it got it got intense pretty quickly. Um, and I think throughout, you know, consistency was, was one of the big things you notice. like it, the guys, you know, the guys that were at a ball, they could have gone to double a and gone one for three once in a while. But if you stretched them over 140 games, they just did, they, they just didn't have the skills and the discipline to sort of be able to play at that level. And so it was who could sustain performance at a certain level that would then allow them to sort of keep moving up the ranks. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to hear about. Um, you know, how your Stanford would have beaten the, the rookie ball. I mean, it doesn't definitely make sense though, considering, you know, the, the low level, um, of the minors is going to be a lot of guys just raw with tons of potential that, um, you know, could, could go far or could not. But so that definitely makes sense. Um, and, you know, you said you got drafted by the Padres. Uh, so, and then you eventually, uh, a few years later got, um, move to the the rangers so what what was that process like and um like you know was what was the what were the differences between the two organizations and what was like the trans transition like from you know being a padre and getting drafted by them and then going to the rangers organization well i, I appreciate your i appreciate your research um and, and how well well uh, informed you are i so i spent as you said i, I spent five basically full five and a half like full seasons like playing in the Padres system, going to spring training every year, knowing a lot of the coaches, sort of make, making my way through the organization. And so by the time I was done there and I was done there, essentially got released. I asked them to release me after two years of AAA, but that was that was just asking them to release me before they were going to release me themselves. So it was just sort of the writing was on the wall after a couple years pitching in AAA and not not having the success or the consistency, back to my point from a minute ago, to get a chance to pitch in the big leagues. So I asked them for my release knowing that, all right, now I'm a 26-year-old submarine pitcher with a couple years of eh, so-so performance in AAA, like the clock's starting to tick on me. I better go find another organization to see if I have a one last shot. And so I got, as I got released by the Padres in the off season of 2000, of 2000, I called every major league team. By, by this point I had an agent, but he had, he had long abandoned me. Um, I called every major league team trying to get an invite to spring training. And the only one that invited me was the, was the Rangers. And so I went down as a, what they called a non-roster invitee, meaning they weren't promising me anything other than come to spring training. We'll give you a look. And so I was down there. I was just, I ended up just being down there for a month, one month in the, in the Rangers organization and never even got a chance to get out into, into a team. But the, 
as you point this out, the difference was huge. I had spent five years, you can imagine, in the environment where you are at St. Albans, in, in the travel programs you're a part of, in the communities you're a part of, five years of me showing up early and being a good teammate and working hard and composing myself on the field and signing all the autographs they asked me to sign. And if they need someone to go to the car dealership and do an appearance or go to the hospital and do an appearance, I I'd do all those things. And so that was, that was my identity in San Diego. And they, they knew me as that. And that helped me. It helped me, gave, gave me an identity and gave me confidence and all the coaches and other players knew me as that. So Padres, Padres time ends. I go to Texas and it was spring training in Port Charlotte, Florida. And I show up there and there, I literally, Zach knew not one person, not one human being was able to look at me and say, that's Sully. And oh, I know he's the hardworking kid from DC who throws sidearm. They, they knew none of that. And so it was, it was a really interesting experience where I had to say, I'm just going to, I just have to start over. I have to start over sort of building this I didn't have to start my habits over, but I had to sort of start over in terms of earning the respect of people. And so I wasn't there very long. I thought I was going to, I thought I had made the double A team in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I literally had my car parked on the last day of spring training, thinking I was going to then drive to Tulsa and they cut me. And instead of driving to Tulsa, I drove home to DC and my career ended. Wow. And um, so that, that experience, I, I still look back on it with, um, you know, with in, in a positive light. I look back on an incredibly disappointing mo moment in time. Um, of course, this dream that I had pursued since I was, I went to Memorial Stadium as a six-year-old was was done, and that that reality was was incredibly difficult to take. But I still look back on that time based on how I had been taught to approach things, and I. I tie it back to Bob Brown at St. Albans and Dave Bott at St. Albans and my teachers and my mom and dad, that I was able to look back on that time and, and be proud of how I had approached it and therefore not feel any, any, any regrets about it. But the experience in the organizations were, were very different for that, that reason. Yeah. So kind of talking about uh, the regrets you just mentioned. So the, I mean, you said the writing was on the wall in AAA uh, in San Diego so that, you know, that makes the decision a little easier. Um, but is there ever, are there ever any uh, mixed emotions when you look back and saying, maybe they would have kept me in San Diego or uh, maybe I shouldn't have um, asked to get released myself? I mean, you, I don't know how to the extent of which the um, you said the um, writing was on the wall. I don't know. Um, how, how yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I think the, the writing was on the wall because I, because I wrote on the wall. I, they gave me a chance to, they gave me a chance to pitch in AAA. So I, I went from high A in one season, high A, double A in the middle of the year was the closer on the double A team. And then the very next spring training that I made the triple A team. So within a, within a year, I'd gone from high A and all of a sudden I'm in triple A in Las Vegas, Nevada, playing with a bunch of big leaguers, fa facing a bunch of big leaguers. And so I, and I didn't, I didn't pitch very well. And the, the, the level of play there really caught up with me. They looked at me and said, uh, so, relatively soft throwing sidearm right hander, submarine right hander with a really good breaking ball, can't really throw a changeup for strikes, um, has a hard time throwing into lefties. And these hitters were just so smart. They just knew how to approach me much differently than the low minor league guys. So I I had some great moments. I had some great games. I had some saves. I had but over over the course of two years, I just didn't pitch well enough yeah. to 
to deserve an opportunity at the next level. So the writing was on the wall. Yes, because, because I put it there. Um, in terms of looking back, I, I really, I don't have any regrets. I, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I feel so fortunate that I was given the opportunity to play for as long as I did. As I look back, Zach, you know, the question is, is a good one. Biggest inflection point. There was, there was a decision I made those last two years that it was a sort of a decision to not do something that might have changed the course of my career. But I, I am as proud of that decision as any decision I've made. And that was around steroids. It was 1999 when I was in AAA. And this was the height of the steroid era in baseball. And speaking candidly, there were steroids everywhere. All opposing players, my teammates, t- teammates using guys in the big leagues using it was it was rampant. It was not very well policed, uh, and it was rampant. and And I had the opportunity to do that, and I, I the opportunity to do steroids was in front of me. I had been told all along, uh, if you throw a little bit harder, you probably have a shot to play in the big leagues. Steroids would have almost guaranteed that. Um, but it obviously came with a whole host of other issues, both health and, and, uh, and otherwise. And so I, I made was, which was at the time, it was a difficult decision just because it was in front of me. At the end of the day, it wasn't a hard decision because I knew right from wrong. And I knew right from wrong because of mom and dad. I knew right from wrong from my coaches at St. Albans. And so at the end of the day, it was an easy decision to say no. Um, but that, that no, um, kept me on one path that, that I might've been able to sort of loop around otherwise. So when I look back, um, I actually think of it as one of the best decisions I've made and I don't regret it at all, but it was certainly an inflection point that I, that I think about as I reflect upon my time there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, being the right decision and also just the idea of, you know, an, an unfair advantage, it's, um, you know, definitely the right decision when you look back on it. Um, so a little bit, those were some of your, well, you didn't have any regrets, but you know that's what we talked about a little bit. Um, so, kind of on the flip side of things, what was your most memorable moment from just all your, whether it's dogpiling after a championship, mm-hmm. I on a an IIC or something in college or professionally? What was your most memorable moment? Uh, I got two most memorable moments for you. One in college uh, at Texas Tech elimination game, last very last game of the regional to go to Omaha. We we beat. Um, we beat Texas Tech at Wichita State on a Monday afternoon, rain delayed to go to Omaha my sophomore year, and I still I can still remember those moments. I've got a I've got a big frame picture at home of our team, sort of after having dogpiled, sort of on the mound, you know, in front of the in front of the scoreboard, and so I, I think of that often. And then a few years later, so that was 1995, and in 1998, that I mentioned in the Southern League, I'd gotten called up to 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 Mobile, Alabama, and I was the closer, and we were we were run, winning the league and ended up, we won the league, and I was the closer, closed out a one-run game in the bottom of the ninth uh, to, to win the championship, dogpile on top of me, champagne in the locker room, the whole deal. And, you know, those are moments uh, we used to create in our basement, my brother and I, and to have a real one was uh, was pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely awesome story to hear. Um yeah, hopefully I get to have something similar like that this year. I, I, I believe in you. Believe me. I know you will. <laughs> hopefully with the IC, you've got a decent team this year and the next year. But um, so, yeah, I mean, you would a little bit, I mean, kind of similar to the regrets. Would you change anything in your process of your baseball career, working harder in anything, different position, anything like that? Um, you know, I, 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 
I certainly made plenty of mistakes and I'm sure there are things I could do better, but I, you know, I, I look back and I, I'm proud of the way I worked. I'm proud of the, the teammate that I was. I'm proud of the community member I was, whether it was at Stanford or one of my minor league teams and uh, the, the, the experience, not just to play the baseball, but to have that be what I did for a living and to have it take me around the country for the number of years that I did is it was an incredible gift. And so I don't, I, many mistakes, hung curveballs and, and otherwise, but no, no regrets. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. And, um, you know, kind of going back to, you know, you did the, made them the right decision, you know, had good morals, uh, you know, not doing steroids, any of that, uh, that led you to, uh, you know, the Tulsa situation, you know, devastatingly driving back, uh, to DC to end your career. But once you got back to DC, um, this kind of takes me into your post baseball career and, you know, what you're still doing now. Um, you ended up founding and you, you ended up founding head first and you're the, you're the, still the current president of it. Um, what kind of went into that process? I mean, I, I'm assuming it's something to do with, um, you know, obviously still wanting to be involved in baseball um, and trying to help um, young kids like yourself, like, like yourself when you were um, a high school student athlete. Um, so how did that kind of emerge uh, the idea of head first. And, um, did you always have an idea of that you were going to found an organization, uh, like it? No, no, I, not necessarily. I, as I've mentioned, my, my dream, primary dream always was to be a major league baseball player and all that went, went along with that. Now I knew in the back of my head, I was going to have to have some backup plans, but I, you know, I started head first actually at the same time that my professional career was starting. That first summer in Idaho Falls, when I was playing rookie ball, I, I decided I wanted to. When I came home for the off season to work out and to get ready for the next spring training, I needed. I knew I needed a job, uh, and I didn't want to sit inside an office building. So I decided to do some coaching, and so I, I literally took my Idaho Falls baseball card that they had given me, this cheesy little baseball card with me on one knee. Uh, and my you know, non-existent stats on the back. And I Xerox copied it about a hundred times and I, all roads lead through St. Albans. I, I had someone grab me a St. Albans school directory and I mailed flyers offering pitching lessons to the St. Albans directory. And so I came home that fall and I started coaching and I liked it. And I'd actually worked camps for my St. Albans coaches. And it was a job that I had enjoyed in high school and college. And so decided to give it a name. And so I called it head first baseball at the time. So this was at really at the very beginning of my pro career. And so for the first five years of head first, I would coach during the off season, September to February, as I was working out and, and getting prepared for my next season. And then I'd go and play. And then I, when I was playing during my hours during the day, when I wasn't at the ballpark, I would do marketing and make phone calls and get the schedule ready for the next year. And so for five years, I did that. I'd go home in September, run head first, then go back and play. And so it was always an off-season thing because I was pursuing this, this primary dream. Uh, meanwhile, I had applied to law school when I was in college. And, and had been accepted to Georgetown. And I was, so I was, if I hadn't gotten drafted, I would have gone to Georgetown Law School. And I got drafted and I deferred Georgetown Law School and, uh, and played baseball. And so, um, head first is now my, my life's work. I, I think I have a long way to go, hopefully. Um, it, 
has been really organic and how it's developed. It's very different today than it was in 1996 when I was giving pitching lessons on the St. Albans bullpen mound, which is where it all started. Um, but you know, all along, I knew that I loved what Head First was about, which is connecting with young people and connecting them around a passion that they have that then was baseball and now is baseball and other things and giving young people the tools to love the game to develop the game, and, and then, of course, the, all, all of the great life skills that you and I have both learned through loving baseball, resilience and goal setting, grit and determination, the, the very same things that my mom and dad instilled in me, that my coaches at St. Albans refined in me, and on Stanford up, up the chain. That's really what Head First is about, is, is giving young people an opportunity uh, to pursue their, their passions and use those passions to advance their lives in positive ways. Yeah, uh, definitely a great organization um, with a great you know, message behind it. Thank you. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, no problem. And uh, so you started in D.C., I'm assuming that had to do with, um, you know, because you grew up here. And uh, But w- was it anything else or did you just kind of want to bring it back to where, you, where it all started? Yeah, just home. It was it was home. I You know, I think we, we do things in other parts of the country now. We're, we're, based, we're based in D.C., just a mile or so from – where I grew up and w- where I learned to play the game of baseball. And uh, so DC has always been home for me personally. It's always been home for head first and it's been a great place. It's been a great place to run the business. There's so many uh, amazing young people like yourself uh, who are you know learning, learning to play and, and pursuing passions and want to go take leverage their focus on both athletics and academics to take it to the next level. And so we just feel very fortunate to be able to do that here, you know, in my hometown and in our hometown. Yeah. Uh, definitely awesome to hear. Um, really interesting uh, story. And that was clearly successful. Um, whether it was your baseball career and um, not quite reaching that ultimate, you know, impossible goal for, uh, you know, the 0.001% make, but definitely still a success considering you made it past uh, what most people couldn't even dream of getting to minor leagues, AAA, and you're now clearly successful in, um, you know, what you're doing with head first and as the president of it and now it's expanding nationally. Um, so definitely want to hear some of uh, the qualities um, that you think made you so successful in what you did. Well, I, I appreciate your kind words. Uh, like anything, head first uh, is a work in progress, and and I'm a work in progress as its as its founder and as its leader. You know, I, you know, in the places that we've had success, and and I'm certainly proud of of a lot of things that head first does and has done. So many of them are are drawn from my previous. Uh, you know, so many of the the lessons and so many of the foundations are drawn from. My, what I learned uh, growing up as a student athlete and that you're, you are as a student athlete yourself, you know, have a dream, things you've heard over the last few minutes, ha- have a dream and a vision, you know, be willing to do, do, do anything within the, the bounds of right uh, to pursue that dream and vision and, and to be willing to do things that other, other folks you're competing with won't do, aren't willing to do, don't have the willpower to do, uh, take care of people take care of your customers, take care of your teammates, take care of your team members, your partners. Um, you know, those are, those are the core things that, that I keep coming back to it. It sounds cliche, but where, where I learned that was from my family and from St. Albans and from the other uh, institutions that I had, a, had, had a benefit of being a part of the Padres, Sanford university, et cetera. Um, and, um, 
that's that's what we're trying to do trying to ourselves be at our very best so that we can help other young people figure out how to be at their best and what it is that really lights that passion inside them so um the fact that I get to come to work every day and do something that connects so deeply with the part of my life that I consider the most influential is an incredible gift. And to be honest, Zach, it's a, it's a, it's a way better gift than any of the years playing pro baseball, the dog pile on the way to Omaha, any of those experiences. It's that those experiences gave me the opportunity to do what I do today and what we do today. And I don't, you know, I don't take that for granted. Definitely the the passion factor in it about uh, doing something that you really enjoy. Um, you know, I, the, some of the most successful people um, r- do something that they really enjoy doing um, and don't get bored of. And clearly, baseball. Um, you know, you've been doing your whole life, and even uh, post playing career, you are still involved with it. And uh, yeah, so I so you definitely you talked about how passion. I mean, I want to do something involved in sports, whether it's. Um, you know, sports management. I want to major in sports management, some, something along those lines. Great. I want to do something uh, you know, that I'm passionate about. And clearly that's just another um, reason to do it and more, more evidence of um, how happy you are with pursuing something that you actually enjoy and are passionate about. Um, Thank so, you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so li- kind of just wrapping up um, the, the interview or, um, podcast session. Uh, what What are your goals for the future of um, your organization, Head First? And I mean, it's clearly already expanded from you know that those summer lessons in the off season, or I don't really know season. I think it was whatever off season pitching lessons that you um, emailed that you got by emailing a um, or sending a, mailing a card to um, the St Albans directory um, to expanding national nationally with. Um, I, think, I think 50 employees or full-time employees, something, something around that. Um, you can just correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and yeah, so what, what are your, what are your um, goals for the future of head first? And you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for asking. We, so as I mentioned, we, we feel very lucky to be doing what we do and, and feel that in this time, this, this crazy time of pandemic where, um, so many of the structures that young people need to develop all of the hard and soft skills in their life, but in particular, some of the soft skills, the resiliency, the goal setting, the determination, you know, so many of those things have been stripped away. A lot of kids are not at school day to day. A lot of sports teams and programs and after school sessions have been canceled. So we feel like the opportunity to do the work that we do is is as important as ever right now. We've got this this great group of folks. Our team is smaller than it was at the start of the pandemic. We're a small business. We're a small business that's been impacted and in some ways impacted deeply by by all of the all of the factors around us. Camp cancellations, the uh, inability to travel, the NCAA adjusting the recruiting calendar. There's a lot of things that have put pressure on our small business and the, and the, the incredible people that I work with every day here. Um, but we've got this incredible group that I feel super close to, that I trust, uh, that I that I think trust me. And what we're trying to do right now is is build is a is really focus on the the, the things that we do the very best and that we feel have the the most impact and like really use the baseball analogy. I know you're a hitter. Like where's that zone where if, if I, if Brennan Sullivan throws you a fastball in this zone, I'm going to be backing up third base because you're hitting that thing off the wall. Like we're, we're, we're trying to create the business version of that. 
where are what's the sweet spot in our business that we know we can do better than anybody else and let's really focus our energies especially now in this time of duress to make sure that we're reinforcing those areas that we're building a, you know a sustainable business into the future 2021 will be our uh, 25th year in business it's a pitching lesson in the fall of 1996 that started it all and 2021 will be our 25th year running programs and, and we're so lucky to be doing that um and it's really about sustaining through these challenging times by focusing on the things that we are, you know, that we feel that we deliver the most impact in. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Definitely good principle behind it. And hopefully, um, you know, for better, the better and pretty much the whole country, COVID um, gets out of the way sooner rather than later. Uh, Amen. Keeps, keeps coming back in the discussion. Um because of you know how much it's affected everything, and um, but yeah, so definitely uh, really cool to hear how um, how you know you're approaching the 25th anniversary and how um, how well at first has expanded you know nationally and how you guys are still managing to um, keep it going through COVID and um, but you know talk kind of adding on to that um, you know talked about all the success and. Um, kind of want to hear if there's anything um, besides, you know, doing something you love with the passion and influence, uh, whether there's any advice you'd give to someone following a similar path as you, or uh, maybe not even that, just similar advice or some advice um, for baseball careers or, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and well, I, and I appreciate the opportunity and you're, you're doing it, man. You're, you're, I know, I know that you're throwing yourself and your teammates and your friends throwing yourself into uh, into these things that you're passionate about. Obviously, your high school time has been impacted by uh, by this pandemic as much as anybody. And so I think you know, this to me, yes, it is disruptive as hell. It is frustrating. It's saddening. There's so many emotions that go with it. There, there's always opportunities in things. And for me, the opportunity for uh, the young men and women who, who are really serious, who are really going to develop the sort of inner the inner passion, the inner drive to stay with these things that are critically important. You know, stay on top of the grades. It's gonna be. It's so easy to um, to not go do that extra workout, not run those extra sprints, put a video game on instead of uh, you know doing extra work on your calculus. It's but it's it's those to me as I look look at the folks who've been who were successful through baseball and now I'm in the business world and are are successful there. It's it's those people that make that that decision to do that extra little bit and over and over and over again until that becomes who you are. And, and I think the combination of being willing to do in those tiny moments when nobody's watching, do the work, do the extra practice that, that others just quite simply aren't, they'll tell you they're willing to do it, but they're not. And in, and in fact, a lot of times they'll try to somehow convince you or trick you or tease you into not doing it, doing that extra bit of work. And then, if there's if it's if there's such thing as a gift that, that COVID has given us and it's it's taken so much away, but that reminder that these opportunities uh, to to be a student athlete, to spend time with your family, to spend time with your teammates, to spend time with coaches like R.J. Johnson, it doesn't matter whether it's a championship game or a crappy freezing ass cold Sunday or Saturday at the cages, like cherish every single moment. And I think those that figure that out are the ones that. Uh, we'll we'll get the most out of what what lies ahead of them. 
Yeah, that's great advice that everyone should use to their benefit, especially coming from someone that's already gone through it all. Um, but yeah, um, I'd, I'd love to end with, um, you know, that, uh, you know, hearing, hearing the one major piece of advice that you'd give to uh, anyone listening to this. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll definitely uh, use that, uh, especially during COVID and all of this and just, uh, you know, as my high school season wraps up in the next two years and whatever goes on beyond that. But yeah, so Brendan Sullivan, uh, five, five seasons in the minor leagues, played at Stanford, um, runs now, now runs uh, headfirst, uh, which just keeps expanding and uh, started from a little, um, little tiny organization that he ran by himself with pitching lessons. And he's, um, you know, with what you've heard from this podcast interview, um, how he's managed to um, grow it and, um, you know, with all the great principles behind it and great message, what he's been able to do to help, you know, the baseball world and his community where he grew up. So, yeah, thank you, Brendan. Um, you know, nice hour conversation there. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot and hopefully um, whoever listened to this learned a lot and uh, enjoyed listening to this. Zach, I, uh, I look forward to watching you play this spring and, uh, and appreciate your hustle, man. Keep grinding. Thank you for the opportunity. Pleasure has been mine. No problem. Thank you. Thank you.